It's a beautiful day and a fine time for healing. Podcast host Randy Fine, a narcissistic abuse expert and the author of the groundbreaking book, Close Encounters of the Worst Kind, and the captivating memoir, Cliff Edge Road, invites you into her sanctuary, a place where your physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being are all that matter. So put your feet up, relax, and enjoy today's show. And now, here's Randy. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in to listen to A Fine Time for Healing, and I am your show host, Randy Fine. Today, we have with us Alexandra Dacheva, D-M-A-R-N, who was born and raised into a musician's family in Bulgaria, and she came to the U.S. in the year 2000 after earning a bachelor's degree in music from the National Academy of Music in Sofia, and she earned a Doctor of Musical Arts in Violin Performance from Louisiana State University in 2007. She has been practicing as a registered nurse since 2011 with a strong passion for educating patients on attaining optimal health. Her mission is to help people overcome self-imposed limitations that prevent many from realizing their goals, finding peace of mind, and acquiring prosperity. Alexander knows that poorly defined priorities can get in the way of anybody's self-confidence. And her new book is a practical guide to overcoming those feelings and optimizing readers' self-worth. The book is called, It Really Is Simple, A Holistic Approach to Self-Confidence. And this this book shows you ways to put your life in order by learning about the five essential aspects or pillars of life to which you may not have given the needed attention. Good morning, Alexandra. Welcome. Good Good morning, Randy. Thank you so much for having me. You're so very welcome. Uh, so it's um this you spent most of your life perfecting, practicing violin. Um, and how did you go from that to this book and and the information that you wish to share with people? Well, um, yes, I was a violinist for 26 years because I was, as you said, in, uh, born in a family of musicians. So I started the violin at age six, and uh, by the age of 32, I already had uh, completed my doctoral degree. But by that time, it was uh, 2007, and orchestras had started to crumble in the United States. Uh, not enough support from the audience, from the rich people. We largely depended on um, support from very rich patrons. And several orchestras even declared bankruptcy. Um, so in 2008, I went through my own midlife crisis, the uh, crossroads in life. I was 32 years old when it dawned on me that I would regret if I didn't try and do something more with my life. I was not, I didn't feel I was competitive enough to continue as a musician because um, with the shrinking orchestra market, you had between 40 and 500 violinists to compete with for a single spot, depending on how famous the orchestra was. And I figured, you know, I know nothing but music. It's been 26 years I've been practicing music only. It's really time to learn something different. It was hard. I had no science basis whatsoever. So in the summer of 2008, I resolved to put myself through nursing school because that was a uh, profession of high demand. There is a lot of um, demand for nurses. There is nursing shortage everywhere. And not just in the United States. If you're a nurse, you can have a job anywhere in the world. So I quickly replaced my seven to nine violin uh, practice, uh, seven to nine hour a day violin practice with seven to nine hour a day reading practice. Uh, I had to build scientific vocabulary, so I read the Anatomy and Pathophysiology book of 1,100 pages four times in that summer before I even started the AMP class in the fall of 2008, and I proceeded the exact same way with my um, psychology textbook, my chemistry textbook, my microbiology textbook, every prerequisite class. I read the textbooks a, a minimum twice from cover to cover very carefully before I even started the classes. So I nailed the classes. I uh, went through the, one of the most competitive nursing schools in central New York. That was the St. Joseph's College School of Nursing. Um, and uh, <clears throat> it was really, really great. Um, in 2011, I graduated. And uh, interestingly, that was, Randy, uh, the year when 
my employer, the Syracuse Symphony Orchestra, went bankrupt. It was really tragic, but I had a job waiting for me in the ICU upon graduation. So I started nursing, and as I went through the first year of my career, I started seeing interesting things. Um, it was great to help people. The staffing shortage was very uh, hard to reconcile with uh, the fact that people were calling in because they were burnt out. So we had a secondary shortage from people who hated their jobs, in addition that there weren't enough nurses, nurses in the first place. <laughs> but this first year opened my eyes. I um, understood that coasting at a job and um, hoping to become financially prosperous was really an idealistic idea. So in um, 2013, I started learning about real estate investing while I was working full-time as a nurse. And in 2014, I started investing in real estate, rental real estate. I own currently three rental real estate businesses. I do work as a nurse because I want to be useful to society. However, I also want to be able to stop working should I want to. So what happened in 2014, the first property I ever bought was a fourplex. We lived in one of the apartments, rented the rest. A year and a half later, my boyfriend bought our house and he took care of the house for three or so years while I was buying more rental properties and I also started avidly trading options. So in the worst time for most people from January 2020 until December 31st, 2021, I jumped in with the house debt. We killed the debt. So a total of five and a half years to kill a 30-year house loan. So now we're financially independent. We are 100% healthy because we are very avid exercisers. That's never been a compromise. Uh, we always try to, I mean, we don't try to, we absolutely eat healthy, exercise. We never let the job or the other business be an excuse for not maintaining our health at an optimal level, like you said in the intro. So we're both organic, whole food, vegan. We exercise four days a week between two and two and a half hours a day. We actually met in martial arts. Uh, I have also 12 years of martial arts experience. He was one of my most uncompromising instructors, even if he is a uh, 30-year <laughs> nurse in the emergency room. But all these aspects connect. So your, your health, your spiritual peace, your career with helping people, and then your finances to make yourself free of any dependence from a job or the government. And finally, uh, the other aspect, of course, is you've got to be very careful who you are with. That's the fifth pillar of life. But we managed to integrate all this to create a perfect life for ourselves and be very self-reliant, if that makes sense. Yes, yes, it does. And you are a very disciplined person. Do you um, do you attribute that to your training, your violin training from the time, you know, from a young age? I think so. Yeah, it's created, if, if nothing else, a very good work ethic and self-discipline and responsibility. That was definitely a factor, yes. Okay. And was that something that you chose or was that, uh, was, was violin um, playing something you chose or was that something that was pushed upon you or encouraged, strongly encouraged, I should say, by your parents? Well, the parents had a big role because I'm from Eastern Europe, right? And they are both musicians. You don't have much choice when both of your parents are musicians. And they had the right idea that if I got a nice job, even if I wasn't a soloist, but a job in a respected orchestra, that would provide me with a nice lifestyle and the contact with music and with the audience and with these beautiful uh, pieces of art composed so many years ago or contemporary music. It was a good idea until the Cold War ended and uh, the culture in Bulgaria deteriorated sharply after 1989. But I was always programmed to seek um, life outside of Bulgaria because of the corruption and poverty, especially for musicians. It became very, very bad after uh, the, the communist regime collapsed, which I absolutely don't defend the communist regime because it was based on a complete illusion um, it, that couldn't be sustained. And that's exactly why it collapsed in 1989. But it was their idea. I thought it was a great idea when I was a child until we started practicing uh, two hours a day, three hours a day when I was six or seven years old and the other kids were playing outside. <laughs> then I didn't think anymore it was such a great idea. But um, I didn't have much say in the matter, and uh, so I continued and expanded my practice every day as I grew, and I started liking it more because I saw it was a great thing to do. It just uh, wasn't really, in my case, it just was not apparently meant to be. 
Right. And um, do you feel so? So your book is, um, or we're going to talk about, and your book is a holistic approach to self-confidence. And um, do you believe that being so focused in one direction for most of your life created a lack of self-confidence in you? Yes, it did. It did because um, I knew nothing else. And uh, I also had this very weird stage fright during auditions. I was able to give decent recitals, but when it came to playing 10 minutes behind the curtain, you having paid for the airplane ticket for the hotel, for the rental car, this huge expense while I was still a student, this pressure that uh, somehow existed, I couldn't deliver as well as I wanted to, and that really crushed my self-confidence. And I had some other problems professionally, uh, self-inflicted from teenage. You know how when you're a teenager, you decide to crave attention in weird ways. Well, my way was I was uh, always uh, diminishing my achievements to ask for other people's approval. And this was a mistake, which I didn't know when I was a teenager, because <laughs> what do you know when you're a teenager? But it became big, and it affected my professional life. And so when I disrupted this whole pattern in 2008, I knew there was no going back. I couldn't be mediocre with the way I handled my own mindset anymore. And that had to change. But yes, the not being um, informed about other areas of life and being very limited in your knowledge, if you understand how bad that is early enough, that can really challenge your self-confidence. Yes. I, I mean, I believe that children should be well-rounded. It's, it's one thing to have, you know, a focus on a particular gift, but that they must be well-rounded in so many different areas. So how did it... Absolutely. Affect, yeah. So how did it... Um, how did you realize, I mean, you, you were saying that, you know, you had stage fright and some other things, but how did you realize that, um, that your self-confidence was not really up to par of, you know, of what it should be? I mean, I know you also, you said that uh, you were require you required external validation and you were completely reliant on that. And, and I know that um, working in the field that I work in, that external validation, it, it, encourages um, a lot of problems in life. It, it encourages uh, abuse from other people because you're so reliant yes. on people telling you who you are that um, exactly. you're, you're, you're a, you could become victimized very easily. Did that happen to you? You Did can you be manipulated, that? very manipulated very easily because they know yes. that you seek their approval and then they play psychological games with you, to say the least. Right, and that and that was your experience. Yes, it was uh, professionally, definitely, definitely. Um, you wanted, if, I mean, there are always people who play favorites um, when they are at a position of power professionally. So you experience that. You see this happening: uh, how favorites fall out of favor, then new favorites appear. That to me was also very difficult to see. But uh, the validation thing was because I myself. Uh, secretly wasn't, I mean, I was aware that I could be practicing more in depth, but I always wanted to learn the, the pieces I was playing uh, fast to impress people. And from that, my technique as a violinist suffered, and I couldn't face that problem for many years because, again, uh, I was a teenager. You know, you want the fast gratification when you're young. There's a few things to happen fast. You don't see things in a 10-year-from-now perspective when you can actually say, okay, I'm going to perfect this skill now, then I'm going to perfect that skill, then skill number three and four, and build this beautiful technique as a violinist from every angle. You don't see things that way. You just like a very virtuosic and difficult piece, and you want to learn it as fast as possible. Well, that over the years created a big sense of guilt because my father wasn't stupid. He was telling me all the time, you are not practicing the way you should be practicing, you're wasting a lot of time, you really need to focus on X, Y, and Z, and I didn't listen to him. So later on, I paid for it with my stage fright, which was, I think right now, was really my sense of guilt towards his efforts manifesting on stage. That's what I think it was. Did you resent your father's father for being so harsh and so um, limiting with your interests? Actually, 
well, he wasn't really limited with my interests. He wasn't even harsh enough with my practice. Okay. He just wanted me to be more successful than he was. And okay. No, I don't. I, I resented him for other things, but not for him willing to uh, show me how to practice better. I was resentful for his the way he totally um, neglected his health, for example, and that's why he died okay. at age 72. That's what I resented him, but not not professionally. No, no. He, I always respected him professionally tremendously. Okay. And so, did his death um, and the re- and his lack of uh, of healthcare, personal healthcare. Did that influence you in this direction to learn this holistic approach or, um, you, you know, to start practicing a holistic approach to um, self-confidence and, and health and, and all those things? Was, that, was he a large influence for you? He was to some extent, yes, Randy, he was because I couldn't influence him to uh, change his habits. But uh, the bigger influence actually with the health perspective was the American healthcare system because I learned that it is the first cause of personal bankruptcy in this country and it is the most profitable business in this country. I have seen over the last 11 years with the respect of health what um, chronic diseases, how much profits they bring to the system and how mm-hmm. people are kept sick for decades and decades and decades maintained, managed with their system, uh, symptoms instead of healing their chronic disease. That was the bigger influence in my health choice rather than dad's, you know. That was his choice. I can only influence it so much. But yes, I I wanted to not be as sick as he got. That's for sure also an influence. There are lots of influences when you make decisions about your health. Yeah. Um, It is kind of a, it's a harsh realization when you get into the medical field and you see really that it's all about um, pharmaceuticals and statistics and, you know, <laughs> um, exactly. and, and the a- limiting, uh, yeah, so many different things. So you say that some of the reasons that we may have developed an inferiority complex, um, are, uh, and you actually name several things. You actually name 11, uh, 11. Yeah, 11 <laughs> things. So, um, do you want to run through that and give us some kind of idea of how this happens? How this happens? Well, at an early age, it's uh, the social uh, environment when you're with your peers and you like to say, I mean, there are lots of ways to develop inferiority complex from home to school to then to adolescence and to work. But um, when I was a child, I was not a popular kid. I wanted to be friends with the popular kids, and that never happened. For the 12 years I was in school, I could never befriend the popular kids in the school. So I developed this um, idea that, well, if they don't want me, that's too bad. I will be independent socially. And I did succeed quite a bit of that, but when I needed some really good advice from people, I wouldn't ask for it, and then I would break my head trying to find the answer, right? So that uh, didn't contribute to self-confidence. The other obvious thing for me was when I went through the realization that I had spent most of my productive years, because at age 32, 26 years of your life are a big chunk of your productive life in a profession where I uh, didn't belong to be. So that was another thing that crushed me. That was the rock bottom at age 32. And then I elevated everything from then on, but I hit the bottom first. And it was really, really not fun. I'm sure that many of your listeners can relate to this story with their own stories. Another um, thing that happened uh, was I, another asked uh, one of these 11 points was when you say you have a dream that somebody crushed for you, you couldn't act on this dream because either your friends or parents told you, oh, that's dumb, that's stupid, that's expensive, don't do that, it's too risky. Well, in my case, I developed this strong passion for karate when I was in the second grade because there were these Chinese movies with martial arts, right? So I started practicing karate like crazy in the bedroom that I shared with my parents, but I practiced when they were not in the bedroom. (laughs) So then I told my father, I'm describing this in chapter one, it was a very dramatic moment because my uncle was visiting from out of town, and I told that, hey, you know, I've been practicing karate for three months in the room, and my father exploded. He was like, are you crazy? 
do you understand you can injure your fingers and you won't be able to play the violin? It was a 15-minute tantrum she had. And I was just sitting there like my dream was crushed. So that's the other thing that can really um, influence your self-esteem and self-confidence when a powerful figure in your life says, uh, no, you're not going to do that because you're going to do this instead. And uh, I was 30 years old when I, I was in the States already when I saw this karate school next to a place I lived, and I signed up. And six years later, I earned my black belt in Shorin Dojuru Karate, and I also earned a blue belt in Aikido. But that was a thing because I knew that martial arts build self-confidence because it's a way to build self-control, first of all. Then you build respect for others, and then you build respect for yourself. And these are three very valuable things that martial arts teach people, um, and that was a latent dream that I had and I accomplished, which was great, but that's yet another thing that you have a dream and it gets crushed and that influences your self-confidence for years because what other dreams are going to get crushed if such a big dream got crushed so early? How much can I dream? How many goals can I put for yourself that others mm-hmm. will think are realistic, right? Exactly. <laughs> so, exactly. yeah, it's, it's tough. It's mm-hmm. tough. You say that um, to be successful <clears throat> at a consistent level, you must forever eliminate the following three items from your vocabulary. Um, and you use the, you say can't, try, and tired. Um, what do you mean by that? Well, <clears throat> if you say can't, you're blocking your brain from ever creating, even attempting to achieve something. Can't. That's a very self-limiting concept that many people use as an excuse to not even challenge themselves one step further. You can't say can't, because if you say can't, your brain will believe it. And Henry Ford was the person who said, well, if you say you cannot, you're right. No, he actually said it, if you say you can, you're right. If Mm -hmm. you say you can't, you are right too. (laughs) Okay, so this is this big switch in mindset. Uh, If you say can't, your brain won't search any further. And that's it. You shut the door to an opportunity and then to multiple more opportunities in your life. Try indicates no commitment whatsoever. You don't try anything. You do it. Try is an ambivalent statement. It's a statement of non-commitment, of indecision, of lack of decision-making. So I think that's a powerful word, at least in my case it was, because whatever I tried never came to an end, (laughs) never came to realization. And the other word is tired. Tired immediately puts both mental and physical limitations on you. If you really want to achieve a dream that is beyond what you think is possible right now and you should challenge yourself to reach beyond what you think is possible, you understand that when you knock on the door of opportunity, it is work who answers. And you have to be ready to work your butt off to fulfill that dream. Uh, Right now, for example, my real estate investments are going great, but when I first bought the property, oh my gosh, we were renovating. I was planning financing like crazy. I couldn't sleep trying to figure out would I be able to cover such and such renovation that needed to be done because the previous owner was treating the tenants like dogs on the property, and I didn't want to be that type of a landlord. So when you start a new endeavor that you know in the long term will bring you a lot of prosperity and you'll learn plenty, I mean, the... the person you become while traveling to that goal is what really matters, not the final destination, because then you put yourself more challenges and destinations. Um, But it really is important to um, tune yourself up for a lot of work and learning and failure and overcoming the fear of failure. That's why you can't afford to be tired. Well, let me tell you something. There was this very famous uh, Bulgarian conductor, Asen Naidenov. He died, I think, in his 90s. But when, uh, when he was about 82 years old, my mother, who was then in her 40s, she's a musicologist, and she knew him very well, but they were talking on the phone. And uh, she was telling her how many plans he has for the next year. And he was 82 years old and still conducting. And my mother asked him, Maestro, do you ever get tired? And you know what he said, Randy? He said, my girl, I'm too old to get tired. <laughs> and she said, I didn't get what he was saying then, but when she got to be 60 years old, she said, I know exactly what he, he said right now, because when you get old, 
all these young people look at you and wait for you to collapse. And you can't do that. So tired is not a good word. <laughs> that's cute. That's really, that's a cute story. <clears throat> so you talk about um, five pillars of life in, um, in order to help you develop mindfulness. And um, let's see, you will notice that the fundamental approach in the elevation of each component to a highly rewarding state is exactly the same. So, Tell us generally what the five pillars, what the five pillars are, and then we can go into specifically each one. Yes. So the five pillars are health, spirituality, Mm -hmm. career, finances, and relationships. Okay. And um, why are these so important um, to our self-confidence? Because they basically encompass our entire life, and if none of them is neglected, you're a holistically uh, confident person and you're an expert of your life. Okay. So the first one was, um, what did you say, your health? I forget what you health. said. Well, yes. I, okay. okay. I dedicated five chapters to health in the book, yes. <laughs> yeah, I, yes, mm-hmm. you talk a lot about health. Okay. So... Why, and in your book you say, um, you comment quite often that, you know, there's many people that are really not focusing on their health um, they're make, or making it a priority in their life. And this was something that you observed um, as a nurse? Yes. Okay. Yes. And, you know, it, I'm someone who's very holistic and, you know, and very um, health-minded and it's amazing to me because for me, I couldn't really live, the, live a life of not being that way. I don't feel like I could survive. So, how do so many, why do so many people <clears throat> abuse their bodies and their health? I don't think they really understand the financial consequences of being chronically sick until they become chronically sick. And then they go, don't get the proper education how to eliminate their disease before it sets in their mind. And then they think it's impossible to eliminate the disease. But people take this. Uh, that's, I, I learned this from Earl Nightingale, Randy. The things we get for free in life are the ones that we mostly take for granted. So if you're born healthy, you tend people who are born healthy and abuse their health, I know they're taking it for granted because they think they'll be healthy forever. And that really isn't the case. That really isn't the case. There is a reason why uh, this healthcare system is the most profitable business and first cause of personal bankruptcy. People are not learning how to be in optimal health. And um, do you think that optimal health is just something that we that comes from um, our physical behavior, or it? Because I mean, I know that it, it comes also from our emotional health as well. So these two things really fit together, right? They fit together, but you have to have the mindset to make yourself self-disciplined and uncompromising to your lifestyle. So to develop the, I I believe I have the most healthiest diet you can have, uh, whole foods, organic, vegan diet. Plants don't make you sick if they're organic and you don't, uh, if you cook them in the proper way. Um, Diet, exercise, and detox. That's what makes you healthy. And I detox on a daily basis, no compromises there, no excuses. I eat vegan diet every day, which I prepare myself. I don't really touch restaurant food. Unless I'm at a family visit, I might do this once a year, if that. But if I don't buy the ingredients myself and I don't prepare them, I'm not going to eat it. That's just it. I have to know, it's important to know what I'm putting in my body. Because I only have one body that I want to last me with quality of life for as long as I wanted to last me, 30, 40 more years, right? So diet, exercise, and detox. We are exposed to between 20,000 and 2 million toxins a day. Whoever told you that once a year or twice a year detox is enough, they, yeah, no, it's not enough because you're exposed to toxins daily. So you have to take care of that, the internal cleaning of your body, just as you take care of your daily showers, your external cleaning, if that makes how sense. Do you, how do you detox? How do you do this on a daily basis? I use a coffee. 
I use a coffee cleansing, but there are many other ways to detox. I just have found that the coffee cleansing is the most economical. If you want to do it long-term on a daily basis, I mean, one package of five-pound coffee uh, lasts between me and my uh, partner uh, two and a half months. And mm. it doesn't cost a fortune. I pay slightly over 50 bucks, including shipping. And that is, really has been the most economical and very effective way to detox because it increases the amount of glutathione secreted by your liver by uh, 650% with every detox that you make. And uh, we don't get sick. That's amazing. But the way that um, to administer this, the coffee detox is through an enema, right? Yes, yes. And that that's, can be very um, off-putting to a lot of people. Well, actually, it's very relaxing because you listen to nice music during the 15 minutes that you detox. But look, there are other formulations for detox. You can have recipes with lemon, um, olive oil, and water that you drink if that's if you feel better, look, as soon as you do it consistently, everything is great. For me, uh, I have done my research. I know what a coffee cleansing does to the body, and I just really think it's uh, the most powerful way to detox because of the great chemistry that happens in your body during that type of detox. It's also very economical and very easy to do. These were my priorities. Efficiency, ease of performance, and um, affordability. Um, somebody else might choose something different. As soon as you're consistent with your regimen and you make up your mind and you keep the discipline, you're doing great. Okay, that makes sense. Um, you have uh, some questions for starters. So for people who ask themselves, um, <clears throat> how do they start making healthy choices and, you know, how do they form a goal and a plan? And so the first thing you said, am I eating high quality food that will help my body stay energized, mm -hmm. well nourished? Um, <clears throat> so here you're talking about the, what to look for in foods and so maybe just go through that. Um, what to look for in labels, the things we should be eating, the things we should not be eating. Yes. Absolutely. So you need to understand GMOs, genetically modified organisms. You have to understand that these plants have um, toxins that repel insects and these toxins, once you eat them, go into your body. Plants that are uh, cultivated in non-organic soil are poor in minerals and rich in pesticides. So you really shouldn't be eating those plants. But there is a way to Google the dirty dozen and clean 15 GMO dirty dozen and clean 15. So the, the dirty dozen are the plants that are fed with GMOs, that grow from GMO seeds. These change slightly every year depending on what's approved to be on the GMO project that year. But when you see these plants and if you like eating them, you really, really, really should strive to buy them organic. Um, the other thing you want to look is USDA organic. And, of course, the non-GMO label. So the non-GMO label, you can Google it and see what it looks like. Look for this on products that are packaged. Um, USDA Organic is the other label. Uh, package can have either both labels. If you have one or the other, it's safer than if it's not labeled. No label, no buy. So if a package doesn't have non-GMO label or organic label or both, I leave it on the shelf. I don't care it says it's natural. I don't care it says it's family grown. It has to be labeled. No compromises there. Um, the other label, when you, if you buy canned food, which I really don't recommend to eat on a daily basis canned food, but if it is organic and if the can says no BPA, that's a chemical that causes, a chemical causes cancer, don't buy that can. So it has to have a label, either non-GMO, organic, or an absolutely no BPA if you're buying cans. Okay, you've got to look for your sodium content. Obviously, you don't want anything above 12% of sodium on these cans. Um, so these are the labels that you want to definitely uh, keep in mind. Very important. Right, and the dirty dozen list, I mean, one of the, the biggest thing on there, well, I shouldn't say the biggest because it's a lot of things, but the most common thing that we all eat that's really important is potatoes. Potatoes have always yes. been on the dirty dozen list, and um, yes, ma'am. Eat, eat them only. I only eat organic potatoes. That is it. <laughs> I won't eat anything exactly. else. But I just, 
I just noticed recently that celery was on there. I don't remember that being mm-hmm. there before, but I know green beans are strawberries, um, <clears throat> uh, red bell peppers, peppers. Mm-hmm. hot peppers. Yes, uh, corn, of course. Corn, yes. Corn syrup. Uh, you, you have to eliminate all the processed food. So if you eliminate processed food, you don't have to worry about corn syrup. That's one of the most toxic substances. And none of these uh, artificial uh, sugar substitutes, salt substitutes, stay away from all that stuff. Nothing processed, nothing that if you see more than five ingredients in there that you have no clue what they are, leave it on the shelf. Let somebody that you don't like buy it instead of you. <laughs> just just right. leave it on the shelf. Right. And corn is highly toxic, right? They, um, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, so corn, it's very important to do organic corn. So if you're eating corn chips or anything like that, um, it, they should be organic. How do you feel about hydrophonic fruits and vegetables? Uh, uh, say that again? Hydrophonic, the ones that are grown um, just with, in water with, with no soil. Oh, I, I don't even think I have bought ever any of these. No, I really prefer the mineral-rich soil. Okay. You need to have minerals because the minerals are the things that help you, the vitamins from the fruit or vegetable get absorbed by your body. Otherwise, you excrete it and you don't get the nutrition. That's what I have learned. I'm not familiar oh. with hydroponic vegetables, but I, I like organic soil. Uh, so I want it grown with all the 52 mm. or 200 minerals that uh, a fruit or vegetable <laughs> must contain al- along with the vitamins. Okay. Okay. So um, we talked about health and eating. So what is the second pillar? Spirituality. Spirituality I have divided into two uh, ingredients, if you wish. Uh, One is the cleansing of the mind and the other one is the nourishment of the mind. So the cleansing of the mind I achieve through meditation. Got to empty your mind from unnecessary toxic thoughts that can build by the end of your day. So you need to clean your mind so you can then absorb the nourishment, which is inspiration. Uh, the mind doesn't um, absorb negative and positive thoughts. It doesn't tolerate them with the same intensity. So you need to be able at least once a day to really clean your mind from cluttering thoughts. That, uh, cluttering thoughts are the thoughts that contribute absolutely nothing to your personal growth. These are cluttering thoughts. So they need to be cleaned every day. That's your service to your mind. And if you're new to meditation, you will notice that your mind starts thinking like crazy when you try to calm it down, and that's its natural reaction. But that's not a reason to get discouraged and stop meditating. Uh, With the two and three months of practice, this whole process gets easier because your mind revolts when you try to control it too much. But you need to allow it to clean itself from toxic thoughts and cluttering thoughts. And then inspiration is when you find sources that inspire you to be a better version of yourself. You can be reading the um, books from very successful people, the biography of somebody you admire, or you can listen to music that inspires you. And ultimately, uh, you combine these two aspects in every activity of your day by being able to meditate while you do your daily obligations, meaning you stay focused and alert, yet very relaxed and able to make better judgments on how to solve the daily problems. And you, at the same time, you get inspired by things that you notice that trigger your mind to think differently and say, oh, this is wonderful. I mean, you can be driving and just noticing a beautiful tree as you drive. Uh, if you are able to create joy in yourself from the little things that are abundant in your day, that's a very inspirational way to go through your day and really appreciate the little things because that's ultimately what life is all about, right? We take things for granted. We don't appreciate the little things, but it is a process to uh, help your mind see these things and see through the problems and challenges. So it takes mm. some work to do that and accomplish this spirituality. Right. Um, and before we move forward, um, you know, I'm thinking that um, this may sound overwhelming for some people, so how do we start this process and not get overwhelmed? Well, you will have to plan your day. You have to manage your time. You need to eliminate activities from your day that don't contribute to your plan. If you're in the habit of sitting on the couch for an hour or two and watching TV, you will be overwhelmed with all this. But um, 
also if you hang out with people who waste your time just for the sake of socialization. These things take a lot of time of the day. And people don't realize how quickly their day goes and nothing gets accomplished because of poor time prioritization. If you want to integrate all these activities in your day, you just have to plan your day differently. That's all it takes. But you have to have the honesty and integrity to say, okay, so this activity that I like so much really is not contributing to anything. So let's eliminate that and replace it with something different, with meditation with, um, or with um, preparing a healthy meal for my family. And uh, I'm giving quite a few recipes in the book from my own kitchen, from my own cuisine, and you will see they are very easy and fast to make, yet they are high-quality nutrition. I'm not a person who hangs in the kitchen for three hours cooking, absolutely not. <laughs> but everything I make is efficient. It's high in nourishment, in, in nutrition, and um, fast to make, easy to prepare, and very good for my health. So you learn how to extract the best from everything into your day. And yes, you will be busy, especially the first five or six months to integrate all this. It's going to take some time to do it, but you need to put your mind into it. And really, really time management is crucial. Uh, in the vast majority of people, the inability to manage their time is truly profound. I think this is a main obstacle to achieving success on multiple levels. And you talk about juicing. Um, <clears throat> how do you feel yeah. that, how should we be uh, juicing? I mean, I know carrot juice is good, beet juice is good. Um, <clears throat> what's the importance of juicing and, and uh, what are the best vegetables that we can use for that? Okay, so juicing clears your cardiovascular system and all these nutrients get spread into your body, um, organs, tissues, and cells very quickly. Uh, juicing is very relaxing. And uh, yes, the vitamins and minerals that you get from your um, organic vegetables are amazingly when combined into a juice. I use a slow masticating juicer. That means it uh, really extracts the juice from the vegetables. I combine cabbages, uh, beets and carrots, organic, sometimes some peppers. But the important part is also what you do with the residual, the uh, pulp from the vegetables that you juice. Many people throw it away. I think that's unfortunate because what we actually do with this pulp, we create um, meals with it. We make salads with it. Uh, we just add a little bit of organic apple cider vinegar and we eat the pulp as a salad which is a great fiber source, and it also has vitamins. I have a recipe with my uh, rice and beet carrot pulp in the book in Chapter 5. That's one of our favorite main courses. So easy to make when you have accumulated uh, vegetable pulp over several days. And um, you can make amazing stuff with the residual pulp. On the, uh, granted, not all of the pulp is edible. For If you juice spinach or apples, that's not easy to eat. That's way too difficult to swallow, but uh, most of the vegetables deliver excellent, excellent residual. I'll give you an mm. example with lemons. Uh, my boyfriend juices two lemons a day because he wants to prevent kidney stones, and he's been very successful with that, two lemons a day, but then he saves the skins, and we freeze them, and once a week we put the skins in a food processor, and it makes this very fine substance of the lemon skins. And then I dump these lemon skins in my oatmeal, on my salads. I mix it with my hummus. And it's a great cancer prevention because of the high content of vitamin C. So that's how we utilize the skins of the lemons. We never throw them away. It's a waste. Hmm. <clears throat> Did your voice, when you met your boyfriend, was he into all of this? Or did, you, did he sort of come along with you? No, my boyfriend thought that his high blood pressure and high cholesterol were hereditary, and he also had diabetic grandparents, and he said, the only thing I'm really, really hoping is to never become diabetic. Well, um, he's a very knowledgeable nurse, and he exercised just as much as I do, but in 2017, all of a sudden, the hemoglobin A1C went to 5.8%, which means, meant he was becoming a pre-diabetic, and he was beside himself. And that's when we watched several documentaries on vegan diets, and I told him, let's, let's go plant-based. I mean, come on, let's do this. We can do this. So we went plant-based in December of 2017. He was eating everything. See, I had stopped meat and poultry in 2000. So I was a half-vegetarian for uh, 17 years, but he, he was eating everything organic, but he liked his meat. 
his chicken, his, you know, everything, except for pork. Thank goodness he didn't eat pork. But Mm -hmm. when he became pre-diabetic, that really was like a slap to the face. And we went vegan, Randy, and in four months, four months later, we didn't compromise. We started vegan and that was it. No compromises, no exceptions here and there. there. We didn't try it. We did it, right? We don't try anything. We do it. So four months later, he went to our doctor again and requested blood work ordered. And uh, the blood work after four months on an uncompromised whole foods organic vegan diet showed that his hemoglobin A1C went from 5.8% to 5.2%, and anything under 5.6, you are not diabetic anymore. But even more crazy than that, his cholesterol and blood pressure uh, went normal for the first time in 15 years. And the doctor took him off the blood pressure pill and Mm -hmm. off the cholesterol pill for the first time. And my boyfriend, Jeff, he was elated. He said, look at my cholesterol, look at my blood pressure. And I said, well, look at your hemoglobin A1C for Pete's sake. You're not pre-diabetic anymore. (laughs) And, and then we both said, that's it, that's it, we're staying on this diet. And it's been four and a half years now, best decision we have ever made. We don't get sick. Our blood work is beautiful every uh, year. My doctor says, Alexandra, if all of my patients are like you, I'll go out of business. <laughs> I'll go out of business. That's what he tells me because I am 46, year old, 46 years old right now. This vegan diet has increased my energy levels by tenfold. Like yesterday, I performed 85 full range of motion, full weight pull-ups at the gym. Uh, Today, I'll perform 100 dips at the gym in addition (laughs) to my weightlifting and leg work and my 10 miles of bicycle cardio at the highest resistance of the bicycle from start to finish. I mean, I have an insane amount of energy. (laughs) I love my fitness routines, but listen, the vegan diet and the detox, it goes together with your exercise and your ability to perform exercise and build this beautiful, proportionate, muscular figure with no fat at all showing, you know, and you walk in the gym at age 46, and everybody's like, ooh, who is this chick, right? And then they see you performing all this stuff, and uh, it's, it's, it's amazing how you feel because you did it for yourself, because you persevered, because you developed the discipline. And when you do it for a year or so, you really are not willing to break your own rules because it becomes part of your integrity. And that's the right. most important lesson. That's true. That's true. I gave up um, red meat and chicken, um, oh my gosh, 44, almost 45 years ago. Um, I stopped eating that's that. Great. And then, yeah. And I started, become, I started as a vegetarian. Now I'm um, vegan, but I do eat um, fish, a pescatarian, I guess they call it now. You so talk you're about pescatarian. Yeah, in your book, you talk about <clears throat> the issues with eating seafood and fish right now. I know that's, yeah, that's not the best. I, yeah. yeah, that's right. Yes, ma'am. Well, fish used to be so healthy and it's so tasty in seafood. I absolutely love these products. But the problem with the farm-raised fish, unfortunately, they blast these animals with just as many drugs as they do the other animals that they uh, you oh, know, yeah. grow in these mm-hmm. confined spaces and they get sick from each other and the hormones and the steroids, you're ingesting four to eight drugs with each slice of mm-hmm. meat or fish that you eat, unfortunately. And then the wild grown, which again used to be cleaner, we have the Atlantic Ocean full of mercury and whatever toxins and the big fish that we eat, they eat the smaller animals in the, many of them, right, in the sea, which the, of the food chain, that whole contamination goes from the bottom of the ocean to upper levels uh, and uh, the Pacific Ocean with the Fukushima plant disaster in 24. To my knowledge, that radiation, it takes hundreds of thousands of years to clean. You have yeah. fish and seafood full of radiation, even though the government tells you, oh, it's safe. Uh, no, right. it's not safe. I mean, right. It's safe for, for commerce. I'm sure it's safe, but uh, I wouldn't put this in my body under any circumstances. And I used yeah. to love fish. And me yeah. and everything. I used to love these products. I'm Bulgarian. We love our animal products. <laughs> um, so I tell everybody if I could give this up and my boyfriend, cold turkey, anybody can. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I raised my children as vegetarian, um, well, pescatarian, I should say. Um, and my, it was right. interesting. My son, when he went to medical school, you know, he, he said to me, Mom, you know, I always thought that when I, you know, got out of the house and I, was on my own that I might change my diet. I might not be so health conscious and, you know, with the, with the uh, vegetarian and vegan. And, and he said, and then we had a class in medical school that talked about 
the damage that meat causes. He goes, and I felt so proud to say I have never had meat in my body ever. <laughs> wow, that's yeah. amazing. That's yeah. absolutely wonderful. Yes. Yeah. Good he's very he's, he's very, very health conscious and he's largely vegan. Um and very, very um fit very fit. So anyway, okay, so we well, got you, the, you surely did something right. You did something <laughs> right for sure. Yeah, he's he's doing good. Both of my kids. I mean, my daughter's a runner, and she eats very healthy also. So, um, okay, so we got through to the spirituality. Was that number three? The that third was number pillar? two. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, we're not going to be able to get but through all of them. Com- but-, but we can combine. We can combine okay. the other two in one because career and finance okay. people confuse. Okay, so let's, but- let's talk about that. Yeah. So your career is the way to help people, but it's not a reliable. Uh, wealth builder, to say the least. Uh, and um, I learned this after the 2008 crisis when people were, you know, they lost their retirements. So I didn't want a 401k. So I learned to invest, okay? So it's very important what we do with our money once we save it after we work. We need to learn to invest. We need to learn to handle high-risk investments because they bring higher returns, right? Um, so investment education is very important so you can expand your financial base and grow your wealth and have more choices in your life. This is the main gist of the career and financial aspects. I have dedicated three long chapters to them because I want to make it very clear, but if you don't have financial peace of mind, many, many other decisions get affected, including your health and spirituality and relationships, right? You're absolutely right, yeah. Yes. So in short, uh, I'm very big on investing. I trade options, like I said, Many of the things we accomplished was, were because of my learning of investing and willing to take the risks and fail several times and learn from my mistakes and not give up. Extremely important. It's not taught in schools. It's not taught in universities. And if, you, if your listeners are interested in investing, please do not, do not learn from financial classes at college because your professors are relying on a salary to make ends meet. Learn from self-made millionaires who offer courses on investing. That's how I learned. I learned through the Rich Dad Company. I'm eternally grateful to Robert and Kim Kiyosaki for their excellent online coaching programs on financial education. And I did take their real estate investment class in 2014, and the rest is history. (laughs) And who was that? Who did you follow? Robert Kiyosaki, the Rich Dad Company. Okay, Robert Kiyosaki. Okay, that's good to know. Okay, so that was, so we did three and four. And what is the fifth one, the fifth pillar? Relationships. Okay. You need to pick, you need to pick your relationships wisely because if you hang around the wrong people, uh, which doesn't imply that they're bad people, but they can be very nice, but very ignorant people, they will influence you to make poor health decisions, poor financial decisions, or most likely both, Right. So you have to be also selective with your relationships. When you said previously, well, all this is very overwhelming, how do people start? You need to, you need to focus on who you hang around on a daily basis and make yourself less available to people who suck your energy complaining about life. And you need to surround yourself with people who are goal-oriented, who won't waste your time without a reason. And... <laughs> build from there because uh, relationships are the thing that people use as excuses, especially close relationships. Oh, I can't do this because my husband is doing this. No, you need to set goals with your husband. And if your lives are completely going different directions, have the courage to recognize that and do something about it. Right. Does that make sense? Oh, gosh, it makes so much sense because, I mean, I do, I do um, narcissistic abuse coaching. And so um, this, I work with people whose relationships are all disasters and who have to learn how to change the way they select those relationships. So, oh, yes, I mean, that, yes. that has a huge impact on our lives. Yes, yes, it does. I can give you an example. I, I discuss in Chapter 12 four types of partners, essentially basic types of partners. So most of us don't have the partner that will jump with excitement with every idea that we have, especially when it comes to a major life change, right? And that's okay. See, uh, I got ex- excited about investing and options trading much faster than my boyfriend did because he's always very 
he walks on the ground. He's very uh, grounded in terms of like sober because he's been disappointed so many times in his life. But so he didn't immediately jump with the investment idea or the options trading. We both learned it, but I took the action while he was seeing to see if it was going to work. But one very important thing, if your partner is not eager to immediately follow with your idea, are they stopping you to do it from doing it? Are they preventing you or are they letting you do it regardless of their reservations? This is mm-hmm. very important. See, my partner never, ever stopped me from anything I wanted to do, be it the investing, the options trading, or even writing the book and going to these interviews now about the book to show it to more people and uh, help more people's lives improve. So he was never against these things. He could say, well, you know, that's nice, but I said, yeah, I mean, there are risks and everything, but eventually a partner like this comes along, comes on board a little mm-hmm. bit later, and then he becomes an incredibly valuable asset as far as advice, experience, and willingness to help with little things here and there, then with bigger things uh, in the future. But sometimes the partner has to be won over your idea, and they need to make sure that your um, creating your dream is not some kind of a wind of uh, short-term, you know, inspiration. And mm-hmm. if they can make it work for themselves with you, that's great. But the relationship, I mean, a failure at home is the biggest failure that you can possibly have, and it's very sad. But you need to recognize uh, how involved your partner and how supportive they are. If they're not stopping you, that's perfect. I mean, that, that's really, really nice. But there are, you know, with the abusive relationships, there are partners who will say, absolutely not. They'll put their foot down and say, no, you're not doing this. It's too risky. We can't afford this. I and mean, that's, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. That's right. A problem it is. So many households. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that we have to be, um, we have to do everything and agree with everything our partners do, but, but being validating and supportive of what we each do is yes. what's important. That's really what's important. And yeah, there are certain things that come along where you, you sort of see what your partner's doing and you like that and maybe you adapt it or, um, you know, or they do vice versa. But, um, yeah, but, but yeah, with the, with the improving your life at so many different levels, I mean, changing a bad dramatically, investing large chunks of money to buy real estate property, those things, they really test your partner. Yeah, they're not they really on board. They tested, they, they taste the relationship. They, you learn a lot about yourself also while taking all these risks. So it's a complex amalgamation, but the idea behind it is very simple. It's simple. You have to elevate every aspect of your life responsibly and consistently. And then you become self-reliant and you, don't, so you have much less stress in your life, even if the responsibility is more, but you can handle it, mm. right? So true. I mean, this is, this is a concept that I don't believe I've really heard anybody um, put together the way that you have. Um, but, but you're absolutely right in all these aspects, in every pillar that if we can achieve, um, you know, I guess, I don't know, would the word be excellent in each one of these pillars? Um, would, would you call it excellence or what would the word be that you would use? Excellence is uh, a great word. I would use, uh, yeah, excellence is great. Control. Um, Control. Integrity. Mm-hmm. Integrity. Control and integrity, it it leads to excellence, but excellence is something that you constantly strive towards because you can always develop into a better version of yourself, right? So you keep track of all these aspects as you go and fill in the gaps, uh, put the necessary attention right away. You don't put off solutions when they are, uh, it's obvious that you need to fix something here and there, but excellence is great. I think, I, I don't know, it's a, it brings different, brings different memories to different people. So they might say, oh, well, excellence, that's perfection. It's also kind of tough because it, nothing mm-hmm. is ever perfect while we, while, while we are alive, right? So right. Yeah, excellence is good. So we can say excellence for the moment. I'm doing good for the moment. How can I make it even better? Yeah, that, 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 right. that's the, <laughs> the very best. Yeah, the very best. No, perfection I don't believe in at all. Um, that's that, yeah. that definitely dissuades us from success. Um, okay, so Alexandra, we are talking about your book. It really is simple: a holistic approach to self-confidence, a practical guide. This is a big book with a lot of information in it. And uh, how would someone? Do you do coaching? 
I do coaching, yes, uh, on an individual basis. There is a contact form on, on my website if they're willing to uh, engage in coaching. People are I, I'm perfectly fine with that. I think if you read the book first, you may not need much coaching on many of these life aspects because you will <laughs> find your own way. <clears throat> when you make your brain think in a slightly different way, you may find out that really coaching, I mean, you, coaching financially definitely you need, and nutrition sometimes you need coaching, but with the ideas that I give in the book should be a very affordable way to get started. So, yeah, I agree. Uh, or I agree. <laughs> so what is your website? The website is www.holisticselfconfidence.com. Okay. I also have a Facebook page, Holistic Self Confidence, with a link to the website. Yeah. Okay. But the website has an ebook and a paper paperback version on the of the book in on the shop page. Okay. So we can go through your website or through Amazon, I would imagine. Amazon has the Kindle version. Uh, the paperback I pulled out because I don't agree with their conditions very much. Uh, I think okay. they're big enough. I don't need to make them okay. bigger. <laughs> okay. But so, the Kindle version okay. is available on Amazon. Yeah. Okay. And if they want the paperback, it goes through you. Okay. All right. Perfect. Yes. Perfect. Both well, go through me and the Kindle, the ebook also goes to Amazon. Okay. Terrific. Thank you. Okay, Alexandra, it's been really wonderful talking to you. Thank you for sharing this holistic approach to self-confidence with us and um, really inspiring us to live our best lives. I, I really appreciate you being my guest today. Likewise, Randy, thank you so much for having me. It was truly a pleasure to have this meaningful discussion with you, and uh, hopefully I've been helpful to your listeners. That's the, the best thing I could hopefully do. Yes, you have been. <laughs> You're a great influencer. Okay, so well, have a wonderful day and, um, and great success with your work. Thank you. Likewise to you. Have a wonderful day and uh, great success with your work, with your books, and with your podcast. Thank you so much. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So we are out of time today, but if you have any comments or questions about today's show, you can email me at loveyourlifeatrandyfine.com. May joy and serenity always be yours. Goodbye. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Visit randyfine.com, R-A-N-D-I-F-I-N-E.com, and be sure to sign up to receive updates on the latest blog posts, events, and upcoming shows. Thank you for listening.